As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Pregnant ladies and little kids better get the hell out of the way because I am running. I'm just, I'm like Forrest Gump, dude. I am running. So the Titanic was the biggest ship on the ocean, but that didn't mean it was unsinkable. Okay. I want you to use ombudsman in a sentence next week. I got one for you. My name is Kevin, the official ombudsman of the Podcast. You like apples? All right, welcome back into another edition of the Just Press Play Pod. We got the normal crew with us. We got LJ and Pops. What's going on, guys? What up? What up? Not a lot. What's up? What's up? I'm still trying. I'm reeling right now, guys, because down goes Jeopardy James. <laughs> he finally lost. He lost on on Monday afternoon. Yeah. Our our, our man. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, the pro sports better James Holzhauer. Saw his 32-game streak end on the game show Monday. Wow. So he finished about $58,500 short of Ken Jennings' all-time record, which Jennings won a little over $2.5 million on his 74-game winning streak. So a lot more games for Mr. Jennings and almost the same amount of money for James Holzhauer. Well, I'm curious now that you're saying that, uh, how, how much did he win? Just throw that out there real quick. I'll do some calculations. Two point four six million. Six uh zero 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 divided by what was it, thirty-two game streak he had? Yep. So let's see. That was I wanted to see how many games it would have taken to break the record at the rate he was going, which it looks like the answer is like clearly one. <laughs> if he would have won one more game, he would have broken the streak. Or broken he was the, close. the all-time he, record. He lost to a Chicago librarian, Emma Betcher. She graduated from the University of Chicago. Interestingly enough. She won on a question about an author, so worked nice. out pretty well for her for that hey, to be the last question. Well, did you see he he bet completely different in Final Jeopardy than he than what I'd heard he usually did. He bet very low. Okay, interesting. Do you want me to explain this? Because it, yeah, it, it just once again, Holzhauer's mind works in a way that I just don't think we can agree. Like we can. Can we explain what Dad Dad saw? Like what I I didn't even see it. So what's the well? I tell you what I saw. So you know, here's what I thought I understood. Apparently, he had a deal where at Final Jeopardy, he typically bet most, if not all, of his winnings up to that point. I think in Final Jeopardy, you can bet all or none or a portion. Yeah, yeah. And he was betting a majority of it, is what I believe that I'd heard. And in in this Final Jeopardy, he only bet like a thousand or eighteen hundred or something. It was a very small amount, not enough to overtake her. I guess he assumed she would loop miss it. I, Kevin, you may have more. I, what what well, what happened? I okay. guess my question is one thing I know, maybe I'm maybe I'm uh wrong, maybe I'm right, but one thing I know is that he likes to uh bet the birthdays of his nieces and nephews. And so maybe okay. that had something to do with it. I don't know, Kevin, what do you think? So normally normally dad is correct. He would double down at the end and tried to win the most amount of money as possible. But when he went into final jeopardy with 23,400, that was 3,200 behind the leader, Emma Betcher. However, Holzhauer only, only wagered just under, it was like $1,399. So not even enough to catch her. So that's what a lot of people are like, why wouldn't he wager enough to catch her? But he, he explained it to the action network that he was concerned more so with the contestant in third place, not the first place. Because that third place had eleven thousand dollars heading into Final Jeopardy, so doubling down would have gotten that contestant to twenty-two thousand, which would have been one dollar less than James than if James had missed. So mm-hmm. he was solidifying that he would no that no matter what he would beat that third place because what he said is if he had doubled down he would have been at forty six hundred forty six thousand eight hundred. But Betcher seemed to have done the math perfectly as well, and if she got the question right and wagered twenty three twenty thousand two hundred one, I know I'm throwing a bunch of numbers, but Basically, if she would have wagered right, she would have ended up with $1 more. So either way, it was going to come down to she gets one more question. If she gets it right, she wins. If she gets it wrong, 
she loses and he wins. So he was just trying to make sure he beat third place. So if she were to get that question wrong, he wouldn't get jumped mm. by a third place guy. So I guess that's so, actually pretty pretty smart. Yeah, smart. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's just fascinating to me. And obviously, she did that. She did the right. She calculated things out right too, and she realized she would come off one dollar ahead of him as well. It just shows these people's math. Not only are they smart answering all these trivia, but they're doing all this math like quick time. Yeah. And even after reading this article and seeing him explain it. I was still like, all right, let me go back and reread that again. Try to make sure <laughs> yeah. I, got, I got what he's doing. He's doing it in real time, and you've got all the time in the world, and it still feels like he's <laughs> going a thousand miles an hour. Yeah, it. He lost on Monday night, and we were recording this as of Tuesday night, like twenty about twenty eight hours later, and I'm just now understanding <laughs> what happened. So, and, and he's doing it during a commercial break, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So. Holzhauer ends up, like we said, we, we mentioned that he won $2.46 million is what his final winnings came out to. And interestingly, even though he is a resident of Nevada, the game show takes place in California, which means he's on the hook for taxes in the, the highest rated state in the nation at 13.3%, meaning he'll take home an estimated $1.29 million, so a slight 47% haircut of his total winnings. Wow. Wow. That's a big old well, tax. Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam did did well with Mister Mister James. <laughs> Uncle yeah, Sam, they take a brand new roads in L.A. <laughs> what, what was it? That Fica cat? They take a lot, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's what I'm, I'm. I'm wondering, like the 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 United States, like you know, they're just begging for people to come on Jeopardy and keep going on these big streaks because that's the big winner of this is taxes. Uncle Sam. <laughs> Getting yep. this, getting They've got to love like the lottos too, right? You see how they get oh, yeah. like a huge, well, like whatever, 38% of the lotto winnings, it seems yeah, like. Yeah, it's a big number, yeah. So, yeah, Uncle Sam's got to love that. Well, and also the lotto things. is generally a government-run institution also. So they're getting cut on the in and the out. So it's a win-win that's for a, them. That's a cash cow, isn't yes, it? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> a couple other inter- interesting things I, I noted from this was – uh, Holzhauer says the final show was actually taped on March 12th. That means all of his appearances were taped before they even began airing wow. on April 4th. So every How single they interview, keep that a secret? Every single interview he did, he knew that he had already lost in that moment. That's incredible. Yeah, he knew he didn't reach. Not only did he know he didn't reach the record, but he knows, like you said, with those calculations, he came one game shy of breaking That's the record. Crazy. We can't even like our president can't even keep secret whether or not he eats paper, and uh, <laughs> James Holzhauer can keep, and everybody on Jeopardy can keep the secret for the entirety of the run. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe. I was like, in this day and age with social media and everything else, how does that stand under wraps for that long? That's and incredible. actually, there was a leaked clip of the uh, over the weekend from I don't know who did it. Jeopardy apparently thinks they know who did it, but someone leaked a small clip and it made it show it made it gave the the thought that it looks like like he loses sometime this week, maybe on Monday. And and Jeopardy was really mad, and they said they're going to take action over who they think did it and try to go to court about it, but. What I was interested in, and I've mentioned this guy before, uh, Darren Ravel works with, he used to work with ESPN, now works with the Action Network. He's a big financial money guy, and he'll come up with all these random stats and stuff. Yeah. And he took a lot of heat on Twitter because he released an article he did with uh, Jeopardy James, and he posted it before many people had actually seen whether he had won or not, because as he said, quote, the episode had already aired in multiple markets. The episode had only aired in four states in the wow. United States. Wow. Well, technically, and that is multiple markets. Yeah. So, so, so he's not he wrong, but, lie, is he, but in your opinion, LJ, in your opinion, could he have just waited a little bit? He didn't he have to. There's waited. a lot of people watching. I mean, OK, so, you know, I'm thinking about this now on the fly. And like my first in, uh, thought is he could have waited three damn hours, right, for it to air in California. Like he could have waited right. just a little bit longer. But then on the other hand. You want to be the first article comes up when it starts trending on Twitter because it's going to start trending on Twitter the second that he actually loses in the first market that gets to see it. So I guess I get why he did what he did. But like, man, that takes a lot of like, uh, I don't know that that's I, I don't think that I would do that. I think I would wait till it has aired in at least a majority of the states, maybe. But geez. a little more of the multiple markets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little more multiple. Yeah. Multiple. Well, and, yeah. and that's the thing. So. You are correct. Like he, he's one. He's been on this all. Like he's been all over this, and this is right up his wheelhouse. So I do get why he wants to be on top of it early. And he obviously had this interview planned, and he knew about this multi, like days in advance. 
and he wanted to be on top of it from the get-go. But the the problem I had with it, like New York Times even posted something, was like, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched Je- – or if, if you don't want to know the fate of Jeopardy James, don't read this article, which – Wow, that's the issue. At least you're giving the spoiler yeah. alert. But, yeah, you're pretty much giving away. <laughs> right. But Darren Ravel's tweet was just, in today's episode, which has already aired in multiple markets – James loses on his 33rd episode. And so he like doesn't even give you a spoiler. He just like, bang, wow. here it is laid out there. So I don't know. A lot of people were upset with him. Wow. He defended himself. I, I thought it was interesting that yeah. he took, he decided to just spoil it, but it's a, that's a Darren Ravel thing. <laughs> is he one of those people? Do you know? Cause he's an NBA guy, right? Does, so does he like, you know, announce the picks before they get aired on TV and stuff like that? Or. No, well, he's not really like an inside source kind of guy for the most part. He's more of an inside Vegas kind of thing. Okay. And so one of the ways he defended himself was he actually went to – he said, you know how we talked about prop bets for the uh, Super Bowl, and one of them is, you know, the national anthem, how long will it be? And he said he actually got to attend a a, like multiple different practice uh, go-arounds for it, and he knew it was going to be much shorter than the time Vegas put on it, but he kept it a secret. Yeah. And didn't tell anyone to keep the integrity of the bet, I suppose. Yeah. So he's he, he defended himself as like, you're calling out the same guy who wouldn't who got called out for not telling people about the length of the national anthem to keep the integrity. So he's done this before and he knows some inside information usually when it comes to Vegas. Yeah. But I I just know Monday afternoon he was catching a lot of heat for for dropping this knowledge on old Holzhauer. And then it just once again amazed me that they were able to keep the secret knowing that they've known since March 12th that he didn't break the record and that he ends up just short of it and that we still didn't know for all this time. I thought that was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of making bets, if you want to go make a bet, you can go do it over at our friends at MyBookie. And right now, if you go over to MyBookie and put in the promo code JPP when creating your account, you can claim a 50% bonus. And so therefore, if you lay down $100, you can now get a little extra 50 in play. All you got to do is put the promo code JPP over at mybookie.ag. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G. And you can maybe go put a, a a little bet down on the finals. It's it's I, There's a lot of injury stuff going on, Dad, and I don't know where we stand on the finals. Uh, the Warriors the won finals. game two. Was, oh, no, okay. Oh. Both. <laughs> that, that one's tied up as well, 2-2 with the Blues and Bruins. Well, that's free money, uh, though, for our listeners. If they're uh, if they're paying attention, they ought to put all the money on the Bruins. That's what they ought to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They should. Yeah. We had Blues and six, Blues and six, Blues and four. So, yeah, all the money needs to be put on the Bruins <laughs> if, if you're a smart gambler. <laughs> uh, we'll jump into the, the NBA Finals first because I think we're a little more knowledgeable uh, on that. And, uh, Dad, Warriors won game two, 109-104. We're recording this as of Tuesday night. I think you'll be hearing this after game three, so we may not sound too smart afterward. But what, what, was, <laughs> your, what was your first thoughts? <laughs> yeah. What's new, guys? Here we are. It's the JPP pod. So, Dad, what, what were your thoughts after game two Sunday night? Probably the prevailing thought was that that Toronto let one get away. You know, they were ahead yeah. in all of the first half, and then you get Clay goes down uh, in the second half at some point. I can't remember when. Um, who else got somewhere hurt? around midway midway through the third quarter? Looney uh, got hurt. Looney got hurt, which is which is a big player. You know, off the bench, obviously, but a big player. Boogie Boogie had a pretty good game, but. If if Clay's out, and of course, as we all know, KD's not playing. If Clay goes out, you and you're at home, you gotta win that game. And I yeah. was startled, Kevin. And you may have some stats. I, I was going to try to look them up, but I didn't get time. Why are the Warriors such a great after the half team? I mean, they always come out in that third quarter, and I think they went on. What did I write this down? An 18 to 0 run at the beginning of the yep. third quarter, and. They're just an amazing third quarter team, and well, that, that, that's kind of what did them in. They built that lead, and then kind of maintained it, even with the uh, stuff they had to face through the through the end of the game. Well, I'm with you in the fact that I kind of felt like the Raptors let one a big one get away, and this one's going to hurt when they look back at the series if they don't win the series. And it seemed like, interestingly, the Raptors were only up 59-54 at the end of the first half, and it watching the game, it felt like if you if if the scoreboard wouldn't have been there, it felt like the Raptors completely outplayed Golden State. Agreed. Golden State never really Agreed. got going. Steph was maybe hurt, maybe sick. 
there were some ports, you know, he might have had the runs. Who knows what who knows what was going on with Steph, but he was having a <laughs> tough first half. And and like you said, from the one minute mark in the second quarter to about the six minute mark in the third quarter, the Warriors went on a twenty-four to one run, including that eighteen to run to start the third quarter. And I, I don't know if there's a big rhyme or reason besides just like we've talked about with the Patriots before, good teams close out halves and start halves really well. Yeah. And that's just I, I don't I part of their way they do good runs, I mean, they just do it so fast. It happens so quick, and all of a sudden that pace gets going, and then Steph hits a three. Clay hits a three. They get a layup, and then it just happens. But also, I do think there's got to be something to – this is not new. This is what we've known ever since this dynasty's kind of got going. They've always been really good in the third quarter. Got to give some credit to Steve Kerr. I, there's got to be some adjustment they make right at half, and they just come out, and it takes you five or six minutes to understand what's hitting you. And by that point, if it takes you six minutes – I mean, they put 18 Instead points like, on the board, for God's sake. Well, yeah, it's know? not like an. Uh, I think your typical NBA, <laughs> NBA team goes on a quick 8-0, 9-0 run where the Warriors go on those 18- to 20-point runs, and that's crushing. I mean, we went from the Raptors up. It felt like, like we said, the Raptors had outplayed up until that six-minute point in the third quarter. It felt like the Raptors had outplayed the Warriors for 23 of the 30 minutes in the game, yet they were losing 72-59. to 59. So it – that's tough. And then another reason I thought the Raptors kind of let this one get away, not only did you, like what you said, with Clay going down and Looney going down, the Raptors did that. It was a really, it was an interesting switch. I don't know if I've ever seen this in the NBA, really. Maybe a little bit. The Warriors, I think, tried this a little on LeBron, but the Raptors switched to a complete box and 1D around the five minute mark in the fourth quarter. So, what does and that the mean? Warriors didn't score their next. So a box and one, Dad. Explain a box and one. You you, you know it probably. Well, a box and one would be like four guys playing a zone, kind of watching the paint, and one guy sticking like glue to the star. You know, to of the other team to Steph, basically. Yeah. So you got one so guy. Fred Van Vliet was just guarding yeah. Steph Curry, and he's man to man on Curry, and the rest of the guys are kind of playing a zone back guarding the basket. So that's like so. a massive disrespect to all four other players on the court. Then it's kind of. Well, Steph Curry even said it after the game, said it's disrespectful defense, but it also worked for yeah. a while. <laughs> it's it's very respectful to Steph Curry, but it's also saying we're willing to let anyone else, especially with Clay out, and this is what we – I think this is what Dad got, was getting to a little earlier, with Clay out, with Durant out. It's now Curry, and who else is the, the big shooter? Iguodala, which he did hit a big three, but Iguodala, Draymond Green – you're willing to. You'd much rather lose to one of those guys, even hitting an open three, than Clay getting a contest or than Steph getting a contested three, and that's what they did. Well, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what happened. I, I wanted to mention those two guys specifically. You know, Draymond came. What was it? One assist from a triple double. Um, yeah. Played, you know, he kind of played played hard like he did. I, I thought he played a little lackadaisical in the in game one, and he was back to to pretty much his usual self here. And then Iguodala, I, you know what? Um, I think I'm on the side that I think he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, he well, he was a stud, you know, for a while with the uh, it was the Sixers, 76ers, wasn't it? It was the Seventy Sixers, yeah. and then I and think he even I, went to the Nuggets for a little while the, with the Nuggets, good. and then has been a role player. I, I mean, a, a a stud role player for uh, Golden State now for a number of years. And in fact, it, by the way, he was zero for eleven for three point shots prior to last night's or prior to Game Two. Prior to game two, he was zero for 11 from three-point line and still – but he stepped up and he hits huge buckets. I mean, I think he had eight points. Is that right? He had he was eight, eight points, eight rebounds, six assists. But, I mean, solid, solid stat line. Well, and that's what he does. He does little things where he's, I, I think he's – the last four years or so, maybe three years, since Kate, especially since KD's got there – he has. I don't think he's averaged double digits in the regular season or playoffs. I don't think so. Yeah, and he, and he doesn't. But he still makes a huge impact on the game because he's guarding your best player. He's guarding LeBron a lot in the previous three finals. He's also pushing the pace. He's a good passer. He's a, a, almost a point for. That's what he was back at the Sixers. A good rebounder. He just does a bunch of little things and ends up with that kind of stat line to like eight, six, and six, or eight, eight, and six, eight, eight, and six. He just makes good decisions with the ball. And then out that shot was interesting to me. So. Previously, I think the last time he made a three was at, at adding to your. He just makes big shots in Game Six against the the Rockets, where the they Rockets. beat the Rockets without KD. He went like four for six from three, and it's just you live. You'll live if you're another team with Iguodala shooting that shot. But that moment was just the mark of a champion team, a championship team to me, and a team that's close where. 
they make the pass. They give Iguodala's the open man. They pass to him, and Iguodala's willing to take that shot, even though, like you said, 0 for 11. But he just knows it, if you're a basketball team, you just got to take the open shots. You're going to miss some. But if you if you don't, then that's worse than missing, I think. I agree. That open yep. shot is not taking it. Yep. And I agree. They went from, and that's why I feel like the Raptors kind of botched this game is they switched this box in one day. I thought Nick Nurse did a really good job kind of switching things up on them. And from the five minute mark on, the four, the Warriors didn't score again until that Iguodala bucket was seven with seven seconds left. And in that span, the Raptors only managed to score nine points on nine shots. And where I thought they messed up was they while they still had I think they had seven offensive rebounds in that span. They went one for seven from three. They were just firing up too many threes. I think they thought they needed to get back in it too quick. And their defense was playing great. The Warriors had no idea how to score. I think the Raptors should have tried to punch it down low. And especially it's with Looney out. Mm-hmm. Cousins looked gas. He played good. Good game by Cousins. But he looked gassed in that fourth quarter. I thought they should have kept working it. Kawhi get to the free throw line. And they just kept firing up shots. Uh, and Because this just in, Kawhi hit like every single free throw he shot. He has been yeah, so amazing from the line. And Fred Van Fleet has been shooting good. I, I like – he's actually played fantastic so far in the series, doing a fantastic job on Steph Curry defensively, and and he's making three. So no dis, no discredit to Van Fleet, but at that point where the game – the Raptors made the game ugly, and that's what you want to do against the ugly the, – the Warriors is make it ugly, and then they started firing up threes. And it's like, no, let's get, keep going Kawhi. They, they don't have – with Clay out and KD out, Iguodala's the only guy guarding you. And Iguodala's a little hobbled right now. He's not right. 100%, I don't think. Right. Um, so I thought they blew this game. They're going to look back and go, man, we should be up 2-0 going to Golden State. I, I wanted to piggyback on something that you just said, and, and it alludes to what, what I read so or what I saw. You know, Lowry was kind of in foul trouble, Kyle Lowry, uh, yeah. early in the game, and Nurse – Never pulled him out. I thought he should have pulled him out. Uh, I believe it was – I don't remember if it was game one or game two. It was two, early in the fourth quarter he had him in there like eight minutes just, left and five fouls five and fouls just left him. And just left him play. And I, I guess it just occurred to me maybe he did that because Van Vliet gave him the option to do that because Van Vliet could play the defense and was scoring, um, so he wasn't so worried. But I really thought they should have pulled Lowry out a little bit uh, because of the foul trouble, and Nurse never did it. Now I can't argue with anything Nurse has done. Pretty much, I thought I think he's been a hell of a coach to this point. He's really impressed me in the me finals too. and throughout the playoffs. He's done a very good job of. But yeah, that was interesting to me. I, I thought that was his mistake at the time, and he really didn't foul for a while. I think he did eventually foul out. He did later eventually. in the game, um, yeah. and then interestingly, finally, um, well, oh yeah, me, go ahead. I'll add this the last thing on it, and I'm sure you've seen this, Kevin. But you know, the Warriors had every. Second half field goal was the result of an assist. And if you look at their stats, I mean, they're like an 87-plus percent assist team. So, I mean, they they move the ball around and they get the ball to the right guy. And I thought it was really incredible. I did not realize that in the second half, every single bucket was the result of, of an assist from another player. Well, I know uh, Steph, or Steve Kerr's talked about they actually don't really count assists. They just count passes. And they want to have, I forget the number, but it's crazy amount of passes in a game because they say assists can be skewed and they just want the ball moving, touching everyone's hands. And as someone, I, and you can think about this back playing, just even if you're not hitting the shots, just the fact that the ball is getting in your hands and moving around, you feel like you're still in the flow of the game. Right. And that's why Iguodala can still hit that three late in the game. Because if, if you don't touch the ball for a 10-minute stretch or longer, you just – even if you're not shooting, just touching that ball does something for you. And that's what the Warriors do so well. And I think that's why those runs happen, too, because the ball is going to keep moving around. And all of a sudden, when a couple guys get going, I mean, it's just going to fly around. And I do. I love watching that game, their their style of play. When the, when this starts passing around and they start racking up assists, it reminds me of the, the Greg Popovich Spurs, a little mm-hmm. bit of the Mavericks back when their run, when guys are unselfish and the ball's just hitting the open man and their open man's just taking the shot. Now, the Warriors happen to have – at least in this dynasty, the open man happens to tend to be like Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. Nice, pretty, pretty good guys <laughs> nice to guys be open to, man. Yeah, yeah. It was funny to see. So the Warriors are now look. They're they're kind of we we mentioned this. They're getting hit with the injury bug. We know KD's bad on that calf injury. Steph Curry, something seemed off with them last night. I know a lot of people were rolling their eyes because it seems like. Oftentimes when Steph is having bad games, there's an ankle injury or or a sickness. or It just seems like they're quick to be a Steph injury when he's not playing good. But then Looney's now out. looks like for the rest of the playoffs with the collarbone injury, I feel like that's a big injury, especially oh, with 
Cousins is still trying to. Yeah, he's got like a fractured collar. It's a weird injury, but something collarbone, and they're saying out indefinitely. But from all the reports, it sounds like he's out for the, the series. So that means now Cousins, Bogut, who's still right? coming back from Cousins and Bogut. Yeah, he, Bogut, and he's an older dude. And Clay's now that Clay says he's going to play game three, but the, I don't know if you saw him walking around after the game. The dude could barely walk. That hammy looks pulled, and he's a tough dude. He doesn't miss playoff games, but. It's hard to play through that. And then, like we said, Iggy's a little hobbled too. It's just funny. The injury bugs hit him. And I know a lot of people have put an asterisk by the Warriors dynasty in general saying they've benefited from injuries. And I kind of took a look back at kind of some of the injury bugs that have hit other teams. And if you look back in 2015, when they started this three-peat or when they got their first title in the Western Conference semis, Mike Conley missed game one, which the Warriors won before falling down 2-1 to the Grizzlies. And then... So if Conley would have maybe played that game one, the Warriors might have been down 3-0 after three. And then after getting back into the series, Tony Allen, who, as you know, Dad, one of the premier perimeter defenders and was mm-hmm. the Curry-Clay guy, he hurt. He pretty much pulls his hamstring and misses game four and six and barely played in game five. Then later in that same NBA playoffs, the Cavs were already without K-Love because that dislocated shoulder against Kelly Olenek may or may not have been dirty back in the day against the Celtics. They lost Kyrie in game one to a fractured kneecap, so it was LeBron against the Warriors. Then the 2017 finals, we talked about this last week. The Spurs, who were already without uh, Tony Parker, lost Kawhi on that Zaza Pachulia play when they were up 23 in the third. He would not return, and the Dubs would sweep that series. Then last year, in the Western Conference Finals, with under a minute left in game five, which Houston would go to win 3-2, or go to take a 3-2 series lead, CP3 would do his best Sean Lee impersonation and... Looked like he pulled his hammy. The Warriors have just, they've benefited a lot from injury, and now the injury bug's coming back for him. And so I wanted to ask you, Dad, do the Warriors, how important is KD coming back for the Warriors winning? Can they win without him coming back, or do they have to get him back now? You know, with Looney out, you just told me, for the the series, I can't see Clay. You know, his game is precipitated on fast jumps, which, you know, you use your hammy, uh, yeah. quick release of the ball. I don't his his shot at a minimum is going to be affected. I think KD's got to come back. I, I really think they need him back because I don't think Boogie's going to give you extended minutes. He's just not in game shape because he's he's been out. So long story short, I think I think if KD didn't come back, the Warriors could be in trouble. Well, and I think we're and you're touching on it too with Clay. I don't see how Clay is a plays in, in game three. And like I said, people will be hearing this by the time game three's played. So maybe he's plays and maybe he's great. Who knows? But I, he just could barely walk after that game. And even if he can play, I think he's going to be hobbled offensively and defensively. And now with KD, if KD's out, Clay's out, that means all you got right now to throw at Kawhi really is Iguodala. And he's going to play him 40 plus minutes. He's hobbled and older. I mean, he's not yeah. old, but he's 36. I mean, <laughs> He's not young. He's not old for the earth, but, <laughs> but he's a little old for the court. <laughs> he's old for the court, you know. <laughs> and so I, I wonder to see how that goes. And now Kawhi can kind of guard, I think, if those two guys are out, Kawhi can focus on Steph, especially late. And I think that would be tough on Steph Curry. I I, I think they're going to have to rely. It seems like if KD can't come back, which maybe he can, we don't know. But if not, they're going to have to rely on Boogie Cousins a lot. And I'm with you. He's already uh, a bit of a, a, a portly man. He's not small, and he also hasn't been playing for two months. I just don't think he's quite game shape. And with Looney out, he's going to need to play 30 plus minutes a game. And I mean, it, it's now or never. So you might as well might as well throw him out there. But well, you we'll know, just see what he can do. Cook, you know, and I don't want to. We need to probably get off of basketball a little bit. But Cook, Cook for Golden State has really showed up and and looks like yeah. a guy you can rely on. And okay, Bogut, here you go. I mean, yeah. do you have anything left in the tank? Let's show it. So we'll see. We'll, if you so before the series started, did you take Golden State? I believe. Uh, yeah, remember I got a I got a honey, <laughs> I got a honey <laughs> riding yeah. on it. And I counted that as I'd spent that money, and now I'm thinking I might better. Uh, yeah, you had Warriors in six. I had Warriors in four, so I was I'm already wrong. And LJ had Raptors in seven. If I could go back, I kind of like LJ's bet right now. If I could, <laughs> yeah. 
If yeah. I could go change my bet, I think I'm taking Raptors in seven. Clearly, he's the, the basketball savant here. Yeah. On the, on I was about to say, if you want to learn how to bet, just stop watching sports altogether and just pick at random, whatever seems the most fun. Um, and that's <laughs> yeah. how you do it. Although I will say, I did have a little bit of a reason to bet the Raptors, and I kind of wanted to mention this last week, but I felt like it, there was never a good moment. One of the reasons that I picked the Raptors is I actually found a DVD of Jurassic Park at the school that I work at. And so I just felt it was too fitting to have found a dinosaur movie um, as I'm walking home the day that the finals start. Um, so it was ominous almost. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I think I was dead on. I'm just saying. On to other finals talk. Uh, I don't have a lot of NH- NHL finals uh, analysis for you here. But one thing I will say, L, the other game, I can't remember which one it was. Game two, I think, went to OT. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Game two went to OT. Finals games that go to NHL or Stanley Cup finals games that go to OT are just not not being a fan of either team and just watching for fun. Yeah. It was just fun as hell to yeah. watch. But, oh, my God, if you were a fan – because, Dad, it goes to sudden death. And so every single shot, you're like, huh, huh. Yeah. I mean, it's just – it was so – it was stressful, and I didn't even care who won. So I can only <laughs> imagine, like, a Blues fan, like John Hamm. He's – Don Draper's <laughs> apparently a big Blues guy. I can only imagine what he's feeling watching those. those and, and you can barely see the puck. You know, it's flying around. Yeah. You're trying to keep up with it. And you're just afraid that horn's going to go off every time the other team shoots. It, Stanley Cup Finals, especially late in the game, if it's tight or in overtime, it it is it is fun to watch. I will give I will give them that. 2-2, that series is tied up. We'll see. I think it goes back to Boston for game five. So I think we'll correct. see what ends up happening there. Yeah. Uh, again, Dad, well, no, you have Blues in 6-2, so you and LJ both still have a shot in there. Basically, mm-hmm. my picks are down the drain, at least if I wanted to be exactly right, because I had to sweep both, and uh, <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> By the way, anybody trying to catch a finals game, and maybe you're near St. Louis, or or if you want to see Boston win just another championship, or maybe, uh, or maybe you're trying to see some NBA finals or anything, right now our friends at SeatGeek are trying to hook you up if you go over to SeatGeek.com and put in the promo code ACAA, they will get $20 off your first purchase. And SeatGeek kind of takes the the stress out of buying tickets for you because right now you go online and start looking for tickets and you don't really know if you're getting a good deal or not and you look at it. And SeatGeek kind of takes that out because what they'll do is they'll put on a – there's a red dot for a bad deal, a yellow dot for a decent deal, and then you'll get the green dots for those tickets that are just – you're getting real good bang for your buck. And like I said, right now, if you're a listener of the JPP pod, you can go into SeatGeek.com and put in the promo code ACAA and get $20 off your ticket to whether it's a show, a game, event, a a comedy, anything you're trying to watch, SeatGeek's got the ticket for you. Life's an event, and we have the tickets. LJ, if you go to any event right now, what what would you you go try to see? Is there anything on your radar, like Um, play or game? So... I've recently heard about this uh, show at uh, Chicago Shakes, uh, the Chicago Shakespeare Theater called uh, Six. And the premise is uh, King Louis, the one that killed all of his wives or King. Yeah, King Louis, I think uh, uh, all of those wives get to play uh, there. It's like a modern version of their story done in like a pop idol sense. And I think it sounds really interesting. Like they have like an Ariana Grande feel. It's like so like it's like a. uh uh, America's Got Talent, except like all of the characters are these ex-wives that have been either killed or, uh, you know, sent away for the rest of their lives and stuff. And I've heard it's just amazing. So that might be something I look up on CG and see if they've got any tickets for um, at get, Chicago get Shakes. $20 off, too. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Dad, did you, you like how I did that? I had no clue. LJ had no idea I was going to throw that at him. And I just knew I was like, LJ's probably got something up there. There's no telling. But I just I knew he probably had something. And sure enough. Yeah. LJ, you mentioned America's Got Talent, and I just this was last week. Did you guys see the that Cody Lee? It was the blind autistic singer that went on there. Oh my gosh, it'll have your the hair on your arm standing up. It was amazing. We'll okay. put the show put it in show notes. Dad, did you see it? Okay, I, I, you know I saw uh, it, it on the news. I saw a little story on it, but I didn't hear the kids sing. Uh, it must be a cre- incredible. I would like to see that. I just thought about it because LJ said something about America's Got Talent. And you can see he walks out there and he just starts singing. And immediately the judge, he gets, I, it was the golden buzzer. I don't really know. I don't watch that show very often. I just saw the clips, but I think that's pretty good. And just, I, I'll put the clip on and you guys need to check it out. It was amazing. Yeah, please. Please. Switching over, we have uh, uh, some some football topics to hit on real quick. Uh 
You guys may remember it's good old never the off season. Never the off season. You guys may remember old old Megatron, a former wide receiver over at the Lions. And with Calvin Johnson's first crack at the Hall of Fame coming in 2021, the Lions are wanting to patch things up with the franchise's all-time best receiver, second best player. Would y'all say? I mean, is Barry the best? Oh, I'd say he's the best line. Think, yeah, yeah. A Barry. Sanders very fair was. way to put that. Yeah. But I, I thought it could be maybe maybe a little questionable. But yeah, definitely best receiver and. Best and if, if if you remember, Calvin retired, I think it was 2017 he retired. And at the time, he was probably still the best receiver in all of football, not just the Lions' best receiver. I, he was still a stud. And yeah, there's been a falling out between him and the Lions. And it's because, and Megatron was asked, what could the Lions do if they wanted to patch things up? Because the Lions have said they've tried. And he says the Lions know what they have to do to right their wrongs. He says they need to apologize for making him repay part of his $16 million signing bonus he received in a 2012 extension. Supposedly, according to the Detroit Free Press, they said it was more than $1 million that made him pay back. And so Calvin Johnson wow. says, Calvin Johnson says, if they want to patch things up, they know what they need to do, apologize and repay me the money that they 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 asked me to pay back. I found this interesting because Johnson is not the first star to have a fallen out with the Lions. We mentioned Barry Sanders, the, the franchise's best player of all time. He, after retiring, what was it, 1998, I think, Dad? He yeah. just now patched things up nearly 20 years later in 2017. And it was over over the same thing, basically. I, I looked it up earlier. And when Sanders retired, the, the Lions demanded that he pay back $5.5 million of the $11 million bonus he received after signing a new contract in 97, the year before he retired. And I looked up the rules. NFL teams are allowed to do that under the league's uh, CBA, though they sometimes waive that right as a goodwill gesture gesture if it's, you know, a guy who means that much to your franchise. So my question to you guys, and I'll ask you first, Pops, are they right? Are the Lions right in what the, who's in the wrong, who's in the right here with the Lions and Calvin Johnson? We'll start well, with them. My opinion is that the Lions are are in the right because Yes, it is a signing bonus. You get that for signing your name on a contract, but that contract is for a length of time. And if you don't fulfill that length of time for that contract, then I think that the the lines are in the right to ask for some of that money back. And, you know, I understand this goodwill gesture to someone that's important to your franchise. Um, my understanding with Calvin Johnson, we're talking about a million dollars with Barry Sanders, five million. And and that was 20 years ago, too. So it's even bigger. Yeah, that's a big gesture of, you know, to to, to a great big player. So I, while I get it a little bit, I, I would have to side uh, with the lines uh, on this on on this on this decision. It, it's it's interesting because now Barry Sanders is a brand ambassador for the Lions, and it's just interesting to see this is how this is what stars I think are seeing how Detroit treats not only Barry Sanders but Calvin Johnson, who set franchise records for receptions, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, and now they're they're having having him repay back some of his extension. I wanted to kind of ask you, LJ, what do you agree with Dad? Are you kind of this isn't a good look if you're trying to tell others lure other stars of Detroit in my yeah, mind. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think like I think Dad's right in that they have like the legal right to do this, and that's totally fair of them to do. But like the weird thing to me is the the more research I've done, the the less often that like this never happens. Like teams don't do this. Like why are the Lions the only team doing this at all? Like it's and it also seems like yeah, you're gonna it go seems after a, a little unprecedented. Post, yeah, yeah. And if you're going to go after a signing bonus, like why go after Calvin Johnson's of all people? I mean, I understand it's a big old signing bonus, but like um, he's the person that you want to be on a good foot with all the time. I mean, um, when you know, it, it, they have every right to do it and Calvin Johnson has every right to be mad, there's no like I don't think there's a legal right and wrong here. I think both people are in the right. Um, but like I I kind of side with Calvin on this, that like it feels like a strange choice to me for the Lions to go after his money and not somebody else's. Unless maybe they do that. That's like maybe their standard. Maybe they do that to every player and we just only hear about it when it's the big dogs. So it's a big dog. Know. Yeah. Well, yeah, it just seems it. it's odd to me that the two biggest stars of the franchise have had this done to the Lions now. And I just I'm with you, LJ. I don't feel like I've seen this with any other other franchise. Didn't happen really. to Marshawn with the Seahawks and uh, didn't right. happen to. I mean, it just doesn't happen very often. And and Dad, I totally get the point, and and I'm echoing both of your guys' thoughts. Yes, the Lions have the right to do this, but at the same time, if Calvin Johnson or Barry Sanders would have quit performing, we've seen in the NFL a hundred times over 
They'll cut you in a heartbeat. Let's just look at Cam Chancellor back at Seattle just here recently. Very fair point. He hurts his neck, and it's just like, oh, well, we really sucks. We hate to see it, but what have you done for me lately? And and, and they'll cut you. And that's just kind of the way the NFL is. And these contracts aren't guaranteed. I I don't know. I just don't want my stars. I I want to be able to – as a fan, it's so cool to get get to see, you know – Tony Romo come back to the Cowboys and do a little thing or have that little tribute video or have or have Dirk when he did his thing with the Mavericks. I know he was it was the final game. It wasn't him coming back. But it's got to suck for a Lions fan who, let's just be honest, they hadn't seen a whole lot of playoff success. So at least you could have him bring <laughs> That's back. That's an and understatement. See, <laughs> yeah, we could at least come back and see our, our, our favorites. It took 20 years for them to see Barry Sanders come back to the to the stadium and do anything and now it's the same thing going with number 81 and calvin johnson that's just it's like while they have that right it does feel like you know like if my landlord wanted me to do advertising after i left this apartment and help them sell this apartment and be a reference for him for every new renter and yet he's also trying to charge me like you know 15 dollars per thumbtack that was in the wall or something like that it's like if you're gonna nickel and dime me then like you don't get best of both worlds like i i he has that right to do that but it seems like a bad decision to me is all i'm saying also do you guys find it interesting at all to see that the, I mean, Barry Sanders and, and Calvin Johnson are both are, are are slightly. You don't see this often. Both guys retired when they were still very very mm-hmm. good. Anyone who doesn't remember yeah. Barry Sanders, he was still one of, if not the top running back in the NFL when he retired. And then, like we mentioned with Megatron, he was, I think, I mean, it's arguable, but maybe the best receiver in the NFL when he retired. Yeah, I, yeah. you don't see that a lot. So I wonder. If, I mean, I have a feeling if. Maybe Calvin they just Johnson don't handle to play today. He'd well. be a top eight wide receiver, like um, even right this second. I mean, it gets so. rumored all the time. Like, could he be willing to, could he be talked out of retirement? And the problem is, is the Lions still have his rights and they're not willing to trade him for, for hardly anything. Cause they're still yeah. salty that he left. I just think it seems interesting that not only do we have these issues with these guys after they retire with the Lions, but also that these Lions players are more willing to go, you know what? I'm going to get out while I'm still in good health. I, it, I it's know interesting to me, though, that make, like but. you're also talking about two people that have been undyingly loyal to their team. So for one, it's like, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, like on one hand, why would you try to nickel and dime somebody that has tried to spend every year of their career with you? Like, it doesn't seem like a smart thing to do. But then the other thing is, if it is so bad, why did neither of these guys work their ass off to get out? Like once their contract went up, go find another team because they both yeah. have signed contracts with the Lions after their initial contract. So it seems like it, it's yeah, a very confusing guys, deal to me. These are guys that haven't. Yeah, you know, there's no debate on what team these guys play with. They play with one team, and they were always alive. They never forced their way out. They never had any drama. Very, I mean, I honestly can't tell you what Calvin Johnson's voice sounds like. He just doesn't. He never. <laughs> he never did anything besides just play amazing football all the damn time and kill the Cowboys for what it's worth. And, <laughs> and yeah, it's just as weird. I just don't know. I, I, the Barry Sanders one was a lot of money, five million, especially back in 1997. I don't know the inflation numbers, but that's that, that's a lot of money. Crazy. The one yeah. million for for Calvin Johnson seems petty. It seems a little. It petty does to seem me. a little petty, and you know, I, I think to 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 all this point, the lines are they have the right to do it. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the best thing to do. So, and I yeah. think that's well, kind of what we're all saying. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that you know they 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 messed up there. They, I think the lines did mess mm. up, even though they have the right to do it. It'll be cool to see what they are, or at least I'll be looking forward to see how they try to patch this up and if they end up paying it back. And I I couldn't really find it. Maybe we can find something else and put it in show notes, but I didn't see what they necessarily did to patch things up with Barry Sanders. Did they end up paying back his money or or not? That's a good I question. just know I that they know. patched things up and Barry Sanders hadn't really said, I mean, they don't really talk on what the negotiation was. And so if they ended up paying Barry Sanders back his money and if they're going to pay back Calvin Johnson, this is a big old stink to raise that you're going to end up folding on eventually anyway. Just, I don't know, I have my questions. I have my questions. Um, I don't know if you saw this, Dad, but the Southeastern Conference has announced that they will now allow the sale of beer and wine at sporting events. So starting in August, uh, a Razorback game could be a lot more fun to watch. Because <laughs> it wasn't so fun to watch this past year. There was a lot of beer needed to watch in this previous season. You're saying the Razorbacks and, are more fun to watch not sober is what you're yeah. saying. Well, there's been times where the Razorbacks have been fun to watch, but last year wasn't one of them. Wasn't one of them. Uh, no. Beer would have made beer would have made those games a little more enjoyable. Uh, the previous alcohol ban had been in place for more than 30 years in the conference, with the exception of uh, fans in premium seatings like luxury boxes being able to get alcohol. 
And the new rule will allow, which was voted on last Friday and passed, the new rule will allow schools to make their own decisions on selling alcohol and which venues they would like to do it. Uh, just curious to you guys, is this a long time coming and are you why it took so long or or what, what's your thoughts on it, L? I mean, I don't know why they would have an issue with selling liquor at games. Um, I, I like I, I just don't see why it would be a problem. So um, I think it's a huge moneymaker. Why not? You know, I, I guess. So I say my answer is feels like it's a long time coming. That'd be my answer. But yeah, I think the, the thought process was they want to keep it a family friendly environment. And they're worried if they allow. Obviously, I think I, I don't know if this is a secret. If it is, it's not a very well kept secret. And if you didn't know this, you're living under rock. There's a few drinks that get drank before the game. At, I was about to say, I don't think tailgates. the student section is family friendly, regardless of what rules. Yeah. Yeah. So. And so I think the thought process was they were uh, cutting down on the alcohol incidents, maybe people being drunk and obnoxious in the stadium. Uh, but it was interesting. According to a website, insidered.com, West Virginia, who allowed started allowing alcohol sales in 2011, reported a, quote, Sharp decline in alcohol-related incidents since it began serving beer and wine. The school also generated more than $3 million in revenue from sales, alcohol sales, from 2011 to 2016. So it, it, it cut down a lot on that. And then according to the Register Guard, which is a, a paper in Oregon, the University of Oregon's alcohol-related ejections decreased by 49% midway through the 2018 season when compared to the same time frame in 2017. Sales during that same time increased by 61% at Odds and Stadium, and they allowed, started allowing alcohol last year. So what, wow. what's, your, what's your reaction to that, Dad? Well, I, I know when I was going to school at the University of Arkansas, you weren't you couldn't buy beer or wine in the stadium so, you know, those hog hats, I know I've, you guys know this, but the hog hats, the ugly hog hats that people wear, a fifth, <laughs> a fifth of, of, of whiskey would pop right in there. And that was the, that was the way you carried it yeah, in there. Don't say that yeah. people might not have been wearing, their, wearing those for the looks. So what I wonder <laughs> if, and I know when I was a freshman, my first game, oh, I mean, I think I passed out about the third quarter. Unfortunately, <laughs> so I think you you know you're as a kid you're getting it you're sneaking it in there and you're probably trying to clandestinely mix your drinks and you're probably mixing them really strong. You're probably drinking more and and quicker yeah, exactly. And, and so I and boy, the, I didn't know the stats you were going to just say, Kevin, but it does seem to bear that out that if it's there and it's available, maybe people don't uh, overindulge as much. Yeah, that well, people exactly, will pay more so- money for convenience too. Um, like if you look mm-hmm. at say Netflix, instead of pirating, people have pirated a lot less since Netflix came out. And it, I think it goes both ways. I think like you, you're gonna, um, you'd be more willing to spend the, the $6 on a, on a, you know, an official beer instead of sneaking in six of them or whatever. And, uh, with and the then, chance of it maybe getting confiscated also. Yeah. And then you're going to, uh, it's going to cost more. So your wallet's going to empty out a little quicker. And so you're going to end up getting less drunk than you would as a broke college student. And then I think it's also proof that like prohibition tends to make things not work out. I mean, the, the alcohol prohibition in the U S showed that pretty well, like, uh, saying you can't drink alcohol, like created the mob. And so, um, you know, it just tends to not be a good idea to say you can't do this ever at all in this environment. Mm-hmm. And so, well, yeah, and to piggyback off what Dad was saying, and I, from prior experience, I'm not going to say whether this was me or my friends or if I saw this with other friends, but <laughs> there's been a time where I've seen a liquor bottle get sneaked into the game. And so, therefore, instead of spending, you know, the 6 or $7 on a beer, which, like LJ said, if I'm spending that much on each beer, I'm probably going to be more inclined to drink, you know, two to three instead of that liquor bottle. We... Or, or the people that had that were passing <laughs> that sucker around and taking pulls yeah. from it, which, as you can imagine, all of a sudden the third quarter hit like Dad's saying. And instead of being just buzzed on three or four beers, the people with that liquor bottle were much more than buzzed. Much more. And I right. think that happened. I think that happens at a lot of games. And so, yeah, when you cut down, when you allow no alcohol in the stadium and the people bring in a bottle of liquor, now you get these students who are blackout drunk because they're dumb students. I mean, we're dumb. If you're both, we're dumb. Just, yeah. I'm, st- I'm still 25. <laughs> I'm, I do dumb stuff now. I'm 25. I, I know what I was at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. <laughs> dumb is, is a good word. You were dumber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I just don't understand why it took so long for this to happen. I get the thought, you know, 
we don't want alcohol. We don't want everyone getting drunk in the stadium. But I don't think they will. The ones that you're worried about are probably us dumb kids who don't have the money to drink 20, 20 beers to spend $100 on the alcohol that they're going to buy. Plus <laughs> the revenue, the, the money you're going to yeah. make off selling alcohol in the stadium. I, I know Dad. Yeah. If, if Dad goes to a Razorback game, he's going to go buy a couple beers, even though they're probably going to be overpriced. And I'll probably do the same. I, I just think the revenue is there to be had. I don't know why they wouldn't. Yeah. Speaking of beer, I, I wanted to throw this in. We didn't talk about it last week, and now some more stuff's come about it. But did you guys see, I'm sure you did, Aaron Rodgers had his little chugging contest at the Milwaukee Bucks game. It was making the rounds on Twitter. I heard the Bucks about Raptors. it. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. So the, so the camera showed uh, Aaron Rodgers, and then they showed his offensive lineman, David Bakhtiari. And as you can imagine – an offensive lineman can put down some beer. And my man, <laughs> not, he put down one beer, then he put down, then he like put up a finger like one second, put down another beer. I'll post these, this video in show notes for anyone. I'm sure people have seen it, but just in case. And then he puts down another beer, and then you see him, he's pointing, he's pointing to something. You don't know what it is, but clearly the people in the stadium knew he's pointing to Aaron Rodgers. So then the camera pans over to Aaron Rodgers. Well, Rodgers then picks up his beer and acts as if he's going to chug, and he's, well, it's taking him forever especially compared to this offensive lineman who was just a tank. And Aaron <laughs> Rodgers gets about halfway through, and then he puts the beer down and kind of shakes his head. And basically <laughs> like, nope, can't do it, not doing it. So Rodgers took a lot of crap for his beer chucking abilities. And since the the NFC North in particular, their, their quarterbacks have made the rounds. Stafford was the next day. Stafford's <laughs> wife posted a video of him chugging a beer. It looked like at a Buffalo Wild Wings, much better than Aaron Rodgers. LJ, your boy in Chicago, Mitch Trubisky, was at a White Sox game with oh, I bet he can drink. Kyle Long. He put one down pretty easily. Pat Mahomes was out there drinking. He was at a St. Louis Blues game. He put one down. And then I think uh, Josh Allen was the other one. And it, it, interestingly, Kirk Cousins was on Mad Dog Radio. I didn't see a video of Kirk Cousins, but he said that he would be any NFC North quarterback in a chugging contest. I have my doubts about that. I don't know why, but I just yeah. don't see Kirk Cousins as the big chugger. My, my question to you guys, who would you, if you had to make a power ranking of the best NFL quarterback to chug a beer, who, who are you just assuming is number one? Who do you put at number one, L? Uh, does it have to be a current quarterback? Because, yeah, I, exactly. My no, question. go any quarterback. Let's go mm. any. I feel like. In their prime, in their heyday. Uh, I feel like uh, between Jay Cutler and Terry Bradshaw, they have had way too many beers in their life. So those are two of my, <laughs> my guesses. Hmm. Dad, what what are you going with? I like those. Hey, Kenny Stapler came to Kenny mind for me. The snake. I, I bet Kenny Stapler could chug a beer. And the other guy, I don't Jared know, but just kind of looks like he can. That he looks like he could because <laughs> Jared Lorenzen. I don't even know who that yeah, is. You Who's that? Oh, you know the light, light on his loafers. He used to play for Kentucky. Big old quarterback. Oh yeah, Jared Lorenzen. Hey. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, light on his loafers, baby. Well, the other guy I'm thinking about is Dan Fouch. You remember Dan, oh, Fouch, Dan Fouch back Fouch in the day? Just drink, kind yeah. of a big, burly, bearded fella. I bet he could chug a beer pretty. What good. about what about Broadway Joe? I mean, we I've seen well, I've seen him drunk on the sideline. What was it, Susie Colbert? I'm pretty sure he can't <laughs> chug a beer. I think that's what that show. I just want to kiss you. I just want to kiss you. That's all I want to do. I think that man chugged a bottle of vodka, and that was a huge mistake. And he hasn't learned his lesson. So. <laughs> I, I got to think Brett Favre would be decent. You know, old country Favre boy Brett. Be, yeah. good. I yeah. bet he could put down a beer. I'm sure. It was, uh, interestingly, I saw a quote from Aaron Rodgers who said he was asked about some of these other quarterbacks being shown chugging beers and Kirk Cousins' comments. And he said, quote, for some of them, there's finally a talent now, <laughs> or it's neat for some of them because there's finally a talent where they can say they're better than me at. Are, are you sensing that maybe A-Rod is a little salty? Yeah. A little salty about this chugging stuff? Mm, definitely. Sounds, it sounds like he is. I, I I think he might be just a tad, tad salty. Also, I think I got to give a, a shout out to my, I think the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, old Dak Prescott, he, Mississippi boy. <laughs> I bet he could throw back a beer. I bet he could put one down. Y'all remember that spring break video of him when he was no. at Mississippi? It looked like he may uh, or may not have put down a few too many beers yeah. when he got jumped at spring break. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, he looked pretty tipsy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just thought it was funny, and it, I, I love the other quarterbacks having people. Uh, I like Stafford. It kind of looked like he didn't realize he knew he knew after he saw Aaron Rodgers, who he's plays twice a year, yep. having struggling to chug a beer. He was like, "Hey, honey, record this and and post it to social media." Like you didn't know, like I didn't know you were recording it. He <laughs> yeah. knew he was yeah. on camera. Oh yeah, I think so too. 
And Mitch, Mitch Trubisky knew because his offensive linemen were right there with him. They wanted to show. They wanted to show our quarterback, you know, he's a man's man. He'll chug a beer, whatever. <laughs> it, it was fun. It's a fun game. And now I'm more interested to see power ranking of just the, the fastest NFL quarterback chuggers than I am just the best quarterback. And you got to throw out there the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, supposedly uh, yeah. is an all-time beer ago, right? chugger. We, there's, I have – yeah, yep. I have some conspiracies about whether that was actually beer over on Colbert Report, and we had this discussion about a year ago. If you want to go back to the archives, but it was probably uh, some gluten-free supposedly, gluten bullshit. That's probably what it was. Avocado beer, fermented rice wine. So I'll put that. I'll put the video of of Bakhtiari and Rogers, and then there's one. Someone compiled a video of all all five of them, just back to back to back, showing you the faster chuggers. So. So we'll get those show notes and credit the people that actually put them on Twitter for you. But yeah, I just had, I, I had some fun watching those over over the weekend. So, do you guys want to end it how we typically do? And uh, for for what we're listening this week, LJ, do you want to kind of describe uh, lay out mm-hmm. something that you're thinking about us doing here on the podcast? Yeah. Uh, so I we talked about a little while back the idea of like a movie, uh, like a great movie that you haven't watched yet and you feel like you need to. And it's hard to actually like turn it on because like you you just haven't haven't watched this movie that everybody's watched and you somehow have missed it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. So I was yeah. watching. Uh, I told you guys about uh, uh, Sharp Objects on HBO. And the end credits thanked Led Zeppelin for their music. And all of a sudden I realized I didn't know what Led Zeppelin songs they had even played. I didn't recognize any of them. And so I was like instantly like super disappointed in myself and then realized I think I can name like. Yeah, someone who feels like you listen yeah. to a lot of music. You're like, wait, I, I really should probably have. Right, right. This. Exactly. And so uh, so I then decided I need to learn Led Zeppelin. And so what I'm doing over the next however many weeks is once a week I'm going to listen to a Led Zeppelin album. But before I do that every week, I'm going to listen to the top 40 from the day or the week before that album was released because I want to like teach myself like what context uh, they existed in and what effect they had on music um, for for the masses. And so that's what I'm going to be doing. And anybody that wants to join me on that journey, we may talk about it on the podcast. We may not. But um, what I'm doing right now is I'm listening to the top 40 from January 11th, 1969. Um, and we can post that in our show notes. And then later this week, I'm going to listen to Led Zeppelin's first album and I'll be ready to talk about it with what we're listening to. So it's up to you guys if we want to make this a thing. But yeah, so we're still debating on whether this is something we just kind of do in our free time or whether we do it on the podcast. And if anyone's out there, we're kind of I think what LG is asking is if if you're interested, in, I, I know he's already sent us you have a, a playlist you've already put together where you can just throw it on on Spotify. Mm-hmm. So it's anybody who's interested in joining with us. Reach out either via Facebook comments or email or personally, if you know us, just reach out to us and uh, let us know. And we can even if we don't do it on the podcast, we could we could all you could do it with us. Or if if you think this would be interesting, we might do it for what we're listening to for a while, because I, I think the idea is a hell of an idea. I really like it. And I think it seems right up your alley, too, Dad. Oh, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm excited about it. And I think it could be very good discussion uh, for the podcast, at least briefly, and like maybe a, uh, the end of the what we're listening to portion. Do you guys want to? So I'm in. Hear some of my thoughts on uh, the top 40 from January 11th, 1969, because that is what I've been listening to. Bring it. Yeah. Drop a bomb on us. Well, here, let's start. What we're, by the way, so reach out to us if you, if you think if you're interested in. And now let's get into what we're listening to, LJ. And that's what have you been listening to? What's your thoughts? So the top 40 from January 11th, 1969. Um, and so the first thing I noticed, by the way, when I when I put up put together this playlist is there are so many like all time classics in this top 40. I think there are like eight artists that I would think anybody in the world would consider them uh, a music hall of famer. Um and probably more that are on that fringe. I mean, we're talking about Elvis, the Beatles, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, uh, 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 Diana Ross. I mean, just all time greats all over this. And so then I looked so at a good time for music back in 1969. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then I looked yeah. at like uh, today's top 40 and was trying to figure out, like, are there eight people on this list that are going to be definitely all time greats? I mean, like, um, is Maroon 5 on that list? I don't think so. I mean, I not that I don't love Maroon 5, but like. You know, the Jonas Brothers, like Billy Eilish. I, I don't I don't see any of them being the Mount Rushmore of musicians, but we'll see. I mean, who knows? But it's just kind of weird to consider. Like, I, I wonder what it felt like to listen to Stevie Wonder as he was coming out 
And did you know that he was going to be? So I guess maybe that's a question for you, Dad. Did you know Stevie Wonder was going to be one of the greatest musicians of all time while you were listening to him as a kid? And, you know, I mean, obviously Elvis was a big deal, but like Marvin Gaye um, wasn't always the biggest deal. Yeah, I think Stevie Wonder, I, to, to me, I, I was I was into Stevie Wonder a little bit. I had some inkling, but you're right. Several more I didn't. Yeah, I I, I think that's an interesting way to think about it because, yeah, I don't. I wonder at the time if you thought, if people thought these people are – because, yeah, looking at it now, as much as I can jam to a Maroon 5 song that comes on the radio and, like, songs about Jane can come on and I'll listen to that entire album, I still don't – they're not in my Mount Rushmore yeah. bands. Right. So I, I find that pretty – Pretty well, I think LJ, I saw too in your playlist, Glenn Campbell, like Wichita <laughs> Lineman, yeah. I think was on there or something. Oh my God, that was that was fantastic yeah. music. I, I I'm so excited about listening to this. It's playlist. a it's a great year for music. Um, another thing I wanted to mention is uh, there's a ton of that Motown sound. There, you know, horns, brass, uh, drums, bass, and uh, you know this huge like you know seven or eight vocalists behind the lead vocalist. But one thing that they always did, and I might have brought this up on the podcast before in that sort of Motown sound, is I guess stereo radios were like brand new or something because they're trying to get their dollars worth out of having a left and a right speaker because they'll throw everything in one speaker and then everything else in the mm-hmm. other. So it's like I was listening to uh, Cloud Nine by The Temptations and man, those drums are all in your right ear and that guitar is all in your left ear. And it's like such a weird situation. Like to, it feels like. I've never heard a drum and only heard it in one ear in real life. You know, it's only in Motown songs that you hear that. And it's such a weird, weird choice to me. Yeah. But, um, huh. So, so pops, I know what you will be listening to, but do you have a, what you've been listening to this past week? You know, I do. I've got two songs, two individual songs that, uh, that I, I was listening to some older music and, and I think it was based on that country music, uh, songwriter deal that you alluded to a little bit earlier. Um, but, Pat McGee band haven't seen for a while. I'm gonna put that on the on the website. When you hear it, you'll probably know it. It was a really fantastic song. So I've kind of rediscovered that song, and then a little bit newer, more modern. And I don't think I've mentioned this before, but Max Frost is a guy that I kind of like right now, and he's got a song uh, "Let Me Down Easy," which is kind of a, got a funky little groovy beat uh, that I really like. And and so those are the two guys that kind of just stood nice. out to me that I listened to past week. Gotcha. All right. Got actually for my what we're listening to this week. I have a question for for you, LJ. Yeah. First, why is it, or, or or maybe I should just ask what's your thoughts? But why is it that Nickelback is universally hated? Uh, great question. Chad Kruger is kind of a dick. I mean, I'll tell you that. Well, because I'm, I'm just going to th- I'm just going to throw this out there. No shame in my game. If if uh, if my shuffle comes on and. Rockstar pops up or photograph or if everyone care, it, really any Nickelback song pops on, I'm probably turning it up a few notches and singing along. Now, to it. I'll tell you why. The, so, I think the reason is, is not because they're necessarily bad, but because they have two songs and they just repeat them over and over and over again. That's why they're universally hated is that everything basically sounds the, the hits, same. baby. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean. You can come up with new hits. I mean, like I've seen, I'll, I'll find this video. It, it blows my mind where they have two Nickelback playing songs, playing one in your left ear, one in your right ear. And you can hardly tell that they're not supposed to be the same song. Like the chorus happens at the same time. The wow. chord structure is the same. The rhythms, it's ridiculous. Um, and so they're just like the antithesis of creativity. And so that's why like music snobs hate them. But like, they're fun. Well, Don't get me wrong. They're a fun band. Like they're they put out some good yeah. music. Yeah, I like some of their stuff for sure. Silver Side well, so, Up, well, Shiny yeah, Side Silver Up, side up. Yeah, that's a great album. Silver Side Up, yeah, great album. It was a, it was a really good album. But everything's been the same album since then. So that's the problem with them. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, my thought was, I feel like it's just now over the course of the past five to ten years, wherever I can remember when I was when it kind of started. At least for me, the first time I heard it, it became the cool thing. Yeah to hate on Nickelback. And it was like, oh, what? You like Nickelback? So as a younger person, especially when you're worried about what oh, people yeah. think, you're like, oh, I can't actually admit that I like this band. And I'm at the age now, I was like, no, screw this. I, I crank up Silver Side Up when it comes on. And how you remind me pops on there, I'm singing along to it. So, well, But I do get there are some similarities. But I do at one point, it just became, you just, to be cool, you were on Twitter talking shit about Nickelback. And I, I don't like that. As well, and that's an interesting observation because I think uh, Chuck Klosterman wrote in one of his books that music is the only art form that we ask teenagers what the what what good is, you know, and 
if uh, in yeah. painting, you know, you you have critics that have studied art their entire lives to tell us what good art is. But in music, you've got whatever is played in high schools today. And there's nothing that unites high schoolers more than hating something. So I think you're exactly right with right. how that how that happened and, and why they're so hated is it's more of a meme than an actual thing at this point. Exactly. I, I remember talking crap about Nickelback and it was just I got looking back. I've always enjoyed when their song came on. I just did it because I didn't want to be the one guy that was like, actually, you know, I kind of like this band when everyone else is like, they suck. Right. So, well, I, I do want to add this. About let, that. Oh, go let, ahead. let me add this now. I I was maybe I'm the only one that ever got Playboy to read the articles. But <laughs> the one day <laughs> I'm the one guy that would get it to read the articles. Read the articles. <laughs> But Chad Kruger, I believe is how you say his name, they, he did the interview in Playboy one time, and he just came across as a complete ass in that interview. It was it, well I just did not like him. And other than the, the, the album we, we talked about, I just I didn't care for him much, probably because I didn't care for him. I couldn't name you another person in that band, but right. that's what got me not liking him. Yeah. Oh, there's some there's some weird stuff about Chad Kruger. Okay, what what? I just Googled, is Chad Kruger a dick? And just I'll just let you guys, if you want to see, the first article popped up was a little odd. I, I, we're not going to get into it on the pod, but okay, interesting Google. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, that will do it for another week of the Just Press Play pod. By the way, if you were interested in what, what? else you were talking about earlier about- Don't Google yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not safe for work. Um <laughs> If you're if you're interested in what LJ was talking about for the pod, you want to see the playlist, maybe get a listen. And if you're interested on maybe hearing some more about it, the playlist, you'll put it in show notes, LJ? Yeah, right? yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. You can also search for me on Spotify. My name, like LJ Lutheringer, I think I'm findable. Um, and so that playlist Google is in him. my playlist. Google him. He just said Google me. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, you'll be able to find it there. Uh, on right, the show notes we'll put, too. Yeah, we'll put that out there. So even if you just want to kind of listen along, it's a cool idea, and I'm I'm excited to kind of see where we go with it. And I know Pops is all on board. I can just see his face lit up when LJ was describing it. Um, <laughs> any and uh, as always, you can rate and review us. Please rate and review us and subscribe over on Apple Podcast or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, the Google Store. And you can find us on our website at justpressplaypod.com or we're on Facebook or Twitter. We always like to hear from you. So if you have any comments. Uh, let us know any Lions fans out there. If you got any insight on how you feel about old Megatron and Barry Sanders, it'd be fun to hear that. And yeah. uh, that'll do it for another week's pod. Don't forget to check out SeatGeek, put in the promo code ACAA, and hit up my bookie, put in the promo code JPP. Bet some money, go to a game, go to an event, and do it with 20 bucks in your pocket from us. So uh, that'll do it for another week of the JPP pod, guys. I will holla at you later. All right. Peace. peace. I started a joke by the Bee Gees is the most melodramatic song I've ever heard in my life. That is so cheesy. It sounds like a 12-year-old girl wrote it that was just going through a really bad 12-year-old breakup. Um, and so um, maybe give that a listen. And then for the first time in my life, I realized that the doors sound a lot like Tom Jones. Touch Me could have been a Tom Jones song, and that's a weird connection for me to have made. So, just wanted to share that with you. There was something that came on your playlist. I just threw it on like I was kind of doing some reading before we started recording today. I forget. It was one of the Marvin Gaye popped on. I was like, boy. Uh, every time I hear Marvin Gaye, I just forget how awesome Marvin Gaye was. I think it was Heard It was the Grapevine. It was Heard It Through the Grapevine. And I've heard Dang it so before, but it just came on. I was like, God, I always forget. And I know Dad's talked about Marvin Gaye yeah. being on his top songs of all time and I just always forget how damn good yep. Marvin Gaye was good. Oh, one of the best ever for sure no question one two three four those are numbers but you already knew that if you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on Auto Trader. they're really good at numbers <laughs> Auto Trader.